morning, bitches, and welcome to Wellness For Real. It's your girl, Marlena. And this week, I have a very special episode. I chat with my friend Janelle. You may follow her on Instagram at justjanelle underscore everyday. Uh, Janelle is so inspiring and such an amazing friend. And I asked her a while ago to come on the show and share her story and she was ready to do that. And I'm so glad she did. I just want to give a trigger warning. We do talk about childhood sexual trauma, uh, eating disorders, and other heavy topics on this episode. But I really hope that you guys listen and you get as much as I did out of recording this episode by listening to it. Make sure you guys are leaving us a review for the podcast. Share it with everyone and anyone. We want to reach and help as many people as we can. And um, get ready. Buckle up. Because it's about to get real, y'all. Today, I have my dear friend, Janelle. Hi, Janelle. Hi, Marlena. Uh, so you and I were chit-chatting a while back and you were just telling me about your experience with having a hysterectomy. And I was like, wow, Janelle, this is so inspiring. Like, do you want to share this on the podcast? And you were like, Oh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And then, uh, here we are. So now you're ready to share your story. And, you know, I feel like people don't really know your whole story. Uh, You are so inspiring and you've been through so much in your life. So let's talk about it. Let's, let's talk about Janelle's story. So I'll shut up and I'll let you take over. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I, I was, I'll just kind of give you a brief, like who I am. Um, I was born and raised in Wisconsin about an hour and a half from you, actually from where you were you were raised and, um, I was raised by my grandparents. They're wonderful people. And I live just a couple of doors down from them. And I'm so blessed that I get to be 41 years old and still spend time with them because that's, that's not something that most people get to do. So, um, I'm married to a dude named Ted for 16 years and he's pretty cool. Most of the time. (laughs) You know that. What's up, Ted? Yeah. <laughs> Ted's a big um, fan. Yes, he's a big fan of Marlene. <laughs> um, and I'm a stepmom to a whole grown-ass person. It's crazy to me that he's 23 and he's been an adult <laughs> for five years. Um, but uh, yeah, I my journey to a hysterectomy is long and it's storied and um, it began actually really early in my life. Um, so I think childhood trauma, um, the sexual abuse that I experienced at a very early age, um, set me up for a lot of things in my life that I deal with now, everything from my weight to, um, my relationship with food, my relationship with my body. Um, and having the hysterectomy was, very emotional. And I didn't know that it was going to be like that. Um, so when we talked that day, I just remember being an absolute hot mess. And, and you said to me, you're so inspiring. And I was like, 
I'm a mess. What are you talking about? So I always like to remind my friends and myself that like when you're going through stuff, like you have to remind yourself of all the stuff that you've already overcome, right? Like I'll get through this. Like think about all the shit you've already overcome in your life. Like you said, you experience uh, sexual assault at a young age. And for you, that was a very, very young age. Um, and something that really now, like you said, really affects every aspect of your life and has a lot to do with why you had to have this procedure. Um, so do you want to explain a little bit more about that? Yeah. Um, so I was very young. I was three. I think they think about the time it started and just based on my recollection of very little recollection at that age, but from what my family said, um, my personality began to change about that time. So, um, I very, it was a very stereotypical abuse. He was my mother's fiance. Um, so he was a trusted person in my life. And, um, when I never told anybody, he told me, he groomed me. He told me that my family would not believe me that, um, I would be betraying him and they would not love me anymore. Um, and so I kept that secret to myself. And at some point, um, he was horrible to my mother too. Let me just say this. My mom is, she was a victim as well. So it's not, I don't want to, um, make anybody think that, you know, she just allowed this to happen because that, that's the, that would be unfair to her. Um, at some point in the abuse, um, I, he gave me a sexually transmitted disease and I was experiencing a lot of physical pain. And I also kept that to myself because I think somewhere in my brain, I knew they were connected even at five, six years old. So I didn't want to tell anybody. And, um, so the first time I went to a gynecologist, I was seven. Uh, so when at 41, I'm having a hysterectomy, uh, you know, I'm thinking to myself, this has been happening at this point for 33 years. I've been going to doctors and having procedures and, um, because of the physical trauma that, that I was, that I had gone through early on in life. So that played a huge role in my emotional state after the hysterectomy, because I didn't realize it was going to be so intense, the physical pain of it. And I really think that there was a, there's a correlation between going through that physical pain at five and six years old and keeping it to myself and then going through it at 41. And, uh, so that was something I had to unpack before I could do this podcast. (laughs) I was like, I gotta figure that out. So have you gone through therapy to kind of work through a lot of this stuff? Do you want to talk about like the moment, right? We all have that moment where it's like, you realize, wow, I need help. I need someone to help me work through this stuff. Yeah. I had therapy on and off, um, growing up. Um, unfortunately my grandparents, we lived on very limited means and, um, they didn't have the money to, to put me in counseling. 
properly. And that's, you know, that's a very, very sad part of our society, right? Is that, is that children in particular that really, really need help to grow up to be uh, productive members of society can't get the help that they need if they don't have money. Yeah. Um, but on and off uh, into childhood. And then after I got married, um, I think it was about 2005, I was driving down the road one day and I thought to myself, I could drive myself into that tree and I would be fine. I would be happier than I feel right now. And that was eye opening for me. And um, I did start going to counseling and initially I really resisted the deep dive into the sexual assault and the trauma because it was so uncomfortable and it was so hard to deal with. And I just, I just didn't want to do it, but I wanted help. So um, there's a disconnect there that I had to overcome, but, and I, I did counseling on and off again as an adult and I probably will for the rest of my life, you know, because it ebbs and flows and it doesn't ever totally go away. This is not something that you can just say, oh, I dealt with it and it's done. Yeah, definitely. The traumas that we carry with us. But look at the growth from being that person who couldn't even say it to yourself to sharing it on a platform like this. Like, that's amazing. So I'm really proud of you, you. for sharing your story with us today. Um, so that sexually transmitted disease that you had, so you that pretty much destroyed your fertility or your ability to be fertile. Correct. Yes. Um, I was 16, uh, when they did an exploratory surgery because I was still having just a lot of pain and, um, very, very, very heavy menstrual cycles. And I remember sitting in the doctor's office and him saying, and I had had that gynecologist who was the one that I started seeing when I was seven. So at this point, I really trusted him. Um, And he said to me, I don't know if you'll be able to ever have a viable pregnancy. There's a lot of scar tissue. And the problem with removal of scar tissue is that you create more scar tissue. So There's no good way to be able to go in. And I had, I had genetic things. I had endometriosis as well. So there's other things at play here. And so I knew very early on that I probably would never have children of my own, that that was probably something that was just not in the cards for me. And I had really, I had really done, I think a very good job of accepting that. Um, I married a man that was fine with it. I was honest with him very early on that this would not happen for us probably. Um, and it wasn't until I was about 28 or 29 and all my friends are having kids and I have this stepson in my life and I began to feel very maternal, (laughs) you know, and really miss, um, feel like I was missing out, feel like I could have really given a child a good life. And 
it made me very sad. And the odd thing is, is I kept saying to Ted, I want to be able to give you a child. And he kept saying to me, what are you going to do? Just give it to me and walk away. Like that's, <laughs> like, that's just, such a Ted thing to say, <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is. but you know, he's like, that's not how this works. Yeah. You know? And so like, let's deal with how you really feel and quit putting it on me basically. Cause he's like, I'm fine, you know? Well, and as someone who struggles with fertility, it is, um, I know you and I talk about it frequently and support one another in that because it is, you'll think that you're perfectly fine. And then bam, yeah, <laughs> life slaps yeah. you in the face, yeah. um, you know, and in this society, especially as a woman who can't have children, you are made to feel like you're not quite as much of a woman as everyone else who is easily popping out babies left and right. Or I always remind myself that, and I don't remember who said this to me, somebody along the way uh, said to me that being a good mother has nothing to do with your biology. Absolutely nothing. And, and I just remember, I remember thinking that I could be a good mother role to children that were not my own. Yeah. And that was okay. That was just fine because you don't have to have them to love them and to nurture, you know, kids and, and, and care for them. So yeah, it's, and, and again, like you said, you, you can be totally fine one day and then the next day you're like, and it's, it's much like the trauma, like any other trauma, right? You're fine one day and then something happens and exactly you have to trauma, grief. Yeah. 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 All those, all those deep emotions that we get to luckily experience as humans, right? Yeah. (laughs) So you said you started going to the gyno at seven. So did, did the gynecologist, like, did he ever ask you if something was going on? Like, was he aware that this was happening to you? I mean, I would think that he would be able to see the physical symptoms of the abuse. I saw him after the abuse was found out. So, okay. Um, like I said, he, my mother's fiance was just a horrible, terrible person. And he did horrible, terrible things to her. And I actually, re- I remember the fight that night that, that culminated in him. He actually outed himself. Oh, wow. And yeah. It was very intense and it was very scary. And, um, the thing with that type of abuse is there's so much that surrounds it that's just as traumatic. So you have the abuse and then you have all of the external parts of it, the leaving, um, the reporting it to the police, the having to go in front of a judge and, and tell. And at that time, that was like 1988. Um, 1989, and we didn't have the sexual offenders registry. We didn't have um, video feeds where children could feel safe, you know, um, in in talking to people that aren't your your offender. At that time, he had the right by law to face me, so I had to go into trial and testify in front of a courtroom full of people. 
And so we, I had to go to the doctor and be examined for that purpose. Okay. So that was, that was probably honestly, I think more traumatic it, as an adult. Now I look back on that and that was more traumatic than the actual physical abuse. Yeah. I was going to say that sounds, um, I mean, to put a child in those as an adult, that sounds like something that would be traumatic. So I can't imagine being, so you were what, six, seven years old having was, to go through that. I was eight. Yeah. Eight, wow. nine years old. And it, it, there's a reason why the laws have changed the way they have, and they have not changed enough. Yeah. They have not changed enough. Um, there's still a lot of trauma that children go through in telling their truth um, and in standing up for themselves. And I, as a victim of, or I, I prefer to say a survivor, a survivor of, of sexual abuse, um, it makes me very angry <laughs> to see how, how far we still have yet to come as a society um, in dealing with, with these, with these issues and, and, and prosecuting offenders. So. Yeah. So is it okay for me to ask, is he, is he in prison? He actually served very, very little time for my abuse. Um, he actually served more time for what he did to my mother than what he did to me. Um, and that, again, that was just the justice system sorely, sorely let us down. And he went on to reoffend. And in that offense, then he did serve time, um, legitimate prison time. I think it was all about 12 years. And he's out now. He's just out living his life, living his life. The fuck. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. And, and as, as a, as a survivor, as, as one of his victims, um, I get told when he's released from prison or when he's, that is something that came about that I definitely do approve of, um, in the changing of the laws is that we're made aware when somebody does something like that to us, they let us know. Um, but the problem with that also is it re-traumatizes you. So it's good and, and it's good and bad. Yeah. yeah I was going to say getting that like notification, like I would imagine that that comes with again, like re-triggering all of those memories and that whole process you went through. Mm -hmm. Well, Janelle, thank you so much for sharing all of that. I know that that's not easy to talk about or share, um, but sadly it's more common um, than people like to talk about, especially with people being abused by people who adults who are supposed to protect us and take care of us and are close to us. Those tend to be the people that hurt children. Um, I wrote something down and I, I hope you don't mind if I read it. Not at all. Um, one in nine girls and one in 53 boys report um, of sexual abuse. And that's just the ones that we know of. That's just the ones that report. And my family has always said 
that there were there were warning signs and they wished that they would have heeded them. And so I think, you know, if adults are more vigilant in looking for these signs in children, we could prevent a lot of that from happening. So changes in changes in appearance, even that young, um, changes in uh, keeping secrets, not not telling you know everyday things if they're keeping it too close to their chest and that's abnormal for that child. Um, pulling away from relationships, uh, familial relationships, just pulling away. Uh, those are all hyper emotional. Those are all signs, and I'm not saying that they mean that the child is being abused, but those are the signs to look for. And my family wishes that they would have asked me, that they would have spoken up. Yeah. And I think that that can be said often um, in those cases where, you know, maybe your intuition is telling you something seems off, but, you know, you're like, oh, no, that that couldn't happen in this house or that couldn't happen to us or, you know, so. And you said one in nine. So one in nine females report it, one in 52 males report it. So what are the statistics of the people who aren't reporting it, the people who aren't speaking up, the people who don't feel safe or comfortable Mm -hmm. stepping forward? Um, You know, I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm pretty sure every family has at least one of these stories um, that surfaces later in life typically. Right. Um, You know, I know, like I said, in every family, you hear these stories where you'll have an adult in the family say this happened to me when I was a child by this person that is in our family. Um, and a lot of the times that does not go well for that person. They end up getting, um, called liar. You know, a lot of the times they're not believed and, um, they get isolated from the family and it just furthers that trauma and that pain that that person carries. So, um, just believe people when yeah. they're saying these things. Yeah, because you know it's a very egregious place to go to say I was abused. Like that is a very hard and even just sitting here as comfortable as I am with you um and as well as I know my own story, I have physical reactions to it. I'm I'm cold, you know, I'm kind of chilly, I'm shaking a little bit. Um I Get, you know, you're heightened, everything gets heightened, all of your senses heighten. Um, you have a physical response to sharing these stories and telling these truths about yourself. And to be dismissed, again, oftentimes is worse. It's worse than the trauma of the abuse, you know, because you've finally been able to come forward and and live in this space where you're sharing it and to have somebody say and and dismiss you. It's, it must be horrible. Like it, I can't even imagine. Yeah. It sounds like your family has been pretty supportive through this. So that's amazing. I'm glad that you have that support. So now here you are at 42. 41, yeah. 41. Sorry. Didn't mean to no, add it here. Um, and you just wait went. Until you're waiting until you turn 40 and you're going to be like, yeah, no, I'm correcting everything. I'm 41 in three months. Get it yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so you just had a hysterectomy. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about how, like the journey to, to learning that you needed to have that procedure? Yeah. Um, I asked for a hysterectomy. (laughs) I think I was about 35. I said, listen, my periods are horrible. You know, I just, it, it's, I'm miserable all the time. Um, I had tried every birth control I had had an IUD put in. I had had, you know, I mean, I had been on the, I was on the pill until I couldn't physically be on the pill anymore. I mean, it just was out of control and my insurance and the health system said she's too young. So I had to have an ablation and there are different types of that procedure, but the premise of that procedure is that they strip the lining of your uterus so that you either bleed less or not at all. Um, my ablation because of all of the scar tissue and the endometriosis was a hot water ablation. So they put me to sleep and they basically boiled my uterus. It was the most horribly painful procedure that I have. It was terrible. Yeah. The look that on sounds face awful right now. Yeah. I wish was. you guys could see my face. Like, <laughs> so they pretty much boil water in your uterus. Yeah. Yes. Cool. Yeah. Like it's 2020. We don't 2021. Is, like we don't have a better solution for this yet. This is what we do to women. Is this what we do to women? Like this is what we do to women. also telling a woman what she can and can't do with yeah. her body because of her age. Like that's a whole nother conversation, but like, yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Continue. No, it's okay. But for somebody like me who, who could not have children. Right. You know, um, that should be your choice. That should be your choice. You should be able to say, I no longer want my girl parts. Right. You know? Um, but no, that's decided by the insurance companies, right? The, yeah, exactly. I Probably. mean, I'm sure you could do it. You would just have to pay for it yourself. Right. Yeah is the thing. No, 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 no. I could not do it. I could not even pay for it myself. Mercy health. I probably shouldn't have said that the health system here. uh, We don't don't give a fuck on the show (laughs) (laughs) for us. Mercy. We don't care. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'll get a cease and desist letter. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, they said she's too young. She's too young and, and she could potentially go through menopause sooner. And we don't want, we don't want to have to treat her for menopausal symptoms for the rest of her life, but we will pay for this surgery. We'll let her have this surgery to boil her uterus basically. And then we'll do a hysterectomy when that no longer works, because that was the inevitable out. That was just a bandaid. It was like a stopgap to a hysterectomy. So I had that done fast forward, um, four years and I was right back where I was pre-ablation. I was still having, you know, terrible menstrual cycles. They were lasting two weeks a month. Um, and it was just painful. I was just in pain all the time. And so around Thanksgiving, it had gotten really bad. And, um, I finally got an appointment to see my gynecologist and I said to her, I don't, I can't do this anymore. 
Like, I just, I just cannot do this anymore. I'm just done. I have been doing this since I was seven years old and I'm tired. <laughs> and so she said, we're going we're, we're scheduling it today. Like today we're scheduling it. So, um, I got an appointment that day and I do just want to say, because anybody who knows who I am knows that I met you through the the weight loss Instagram community. That's where everybody is probably going to know me from. Um, the fucked up part of diet culture is I sat in my doctor's office and cried with relief that I was going to have the hysterectomy. And then I went out in my car and I sat and I cried because I was scared that I was going to gain weight. The power of diet culture consumes us all. Yeah. That, and that again, is, one of those things that can bam, hit you out of nowhere. Yeah. You can think that you're like over it and you're like, oh, I, I'm, I read this book. I know everything now. I'm cool Fine. with my body. And then life slaps you in the face again. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I had, so I had the hysterectomy on, on January 6th, which I just, you'll never forget that day now. And if you live in the United States, but also that's the day I had my hysterectomy. Yeah. It was crazy. Wild, right? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was crazy to wake up to, to be honest. I was like, oh man. Yeah. Um, it's probably a good thing you were all drugged up when that was going on anyway. You know what? To be honest, it was. It was actually <laughs> a real good, it was actually a real good thing because I think I probably wouldn't have been the nicest person. Um, but uh yeah, I spent the night in the hospital, um, came home and leading the week leading up to the hysterectomy. That's when I think I realized how traumatic emotionally it was, it was going to be. Um, so I, I kind of knew like I was going to be a bit of a mess and, and I was, um, (laughs) I was, but as the recovery drug on and I began to get infections, post-op infections, which are actually really abnormal. I don't want to scare anybody if they're, you know, if they're in a place where this is something that's going to happen in their life. Um, the post-op infections that I had were a direct result of the trauma that I had experienced as a child, um, the sexual abuse, because once you've had pelvic infections like that, you will continue to have pelvic infections like that. So having the hysterectomy, I just didn't heal like I should have, um, like normal, most women do. And that was, that was really tough. And that day that I talked to you, I was really in it deep because I just felt very much like it was still controlling me somehow, (laughs) you know, like I, like I still just didn't have control over my physical body. And we oftentimes don't, right? I mean, we just, we just don't, but you're always grasping for that little bit of control. So, so that was, that was hard. And I think talking about it now validates it. So thank you for letting me do that because. Of course you've overcome so much and it can help like you sharing this is going to help so many people because like I said, you know, this, 
is so it's unfortunately really common that people experience um, abuse at a young age that then affects them for the rest of their life, whether it be physically, mentally, both emotionally, spiritually, all the things. Right. Um, And I just want to say, like, I'm really proud of you for advocating for yourself, um, even if it took years. Right. Um, Like we have, especially as women, yeah. We have to advocate for ourselves in our doctor's offices. And if your doctor's not listening to you, go to a different doctor. Yeah. Um, a, a thousand percent. And in a different, even a different health system, even yeah. if you have to go to a different health system, if you have to drive, if you have to, I mean, whatever you have to do to get people to really listen to you. Um, I think that that is one thing that I can say about my gynecologist now is she listens to me and she doesn't make me feel like, you know, like I'm making more of it than it is, or, you know, cause I, I, we do that to women. And, and unfortunately that's the society we live in is that women oftentimes, um, get accused of being overly emotional and, you know, this and that. And, and, that's not the case. Most of the time, that's not the case. And in this case, she finally just said, there's nothing else we can do. We've done everything else. Yeah. So, so how has your, um, healing process been then since we talked less? Yeah, it's a lot better. Um, I've had one more infection, (laughs) unfortunately. Um, but you know, we've been able to treat it and I'm back to, I'm trying to get back into normal life. I'm back to work. Um, I'm back to, you know, doing yoga, which makes me feel good. Um, there is still some pain, you know, I'm only, I don't know, what am I about 12 weeks out? Um, and there will be, you know, there will be for, they say probably up to six months to a year, you know, wow. just every, every once in a while, you know, I mean, it's major surgery. Yeah. But it's done in a very, my, my hysterectomy, fortunately, was able to be done in a very minor way. It was robotic. My incisions are very small. They healed really fast. Um, so everything is internal. You know, every, every real, the most majority uh, of the pain is internal. And it's just your, all your stuff settling the way it's, <laughs> the way it's yeah. going to settle when you take out that female part. So. Right. So the hysterectomy itself, did they just, did they remove your ovaries? They mo- removed your cervix as well, or just the ovaries yeah. or both? They left my ovaries. They were able to leave my ovaries, which was good. Um, because that's what keeps you from going through menopause. Right. Um, but they took out my fallopian tubes. They took out my uterus and they took out my cervix. Um, and that's the, the, Curious part of all that is the removal of the cervix, um, because then there's nothing, there's no barrier anymore. Um, so if you, um, if you strain too hard, uh, post surgery, you run the risk of having a pelvic prolapse where your bladder and everything just kind of falls down mm. and, because there's nothing, there's no anchor there anymore. There's nothing to stop that from happening. There's just stitches. So you have to really take it easy. You can't lift anything over 10 pounds. 
um, for the first like week and a half. You're not supposed to really bend over. I mean, you just have to be doing nothing. <laughs> and if I recall, that was real hard for you. It was real hard for me. That was real, <laughs> real hard for me. <laughs> because, I mean, we go, go, go. That's what we do, you know? And that, unfortunately, is, you know, I think how we value ourselves now is how productive we are. So when you're in a place where you're told you can't do it, then you really want to do it. Right. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Um, and you, you, so you mentioned like that you're, when you had this initial appointment to set this up, you know, when you went out to your car, you had that thought of like, yeah. cool, like I'm not going to be able to move. I'm going to be recovering. So I'm going to yeah. gain weight. Um, how have you been processing all that? Like, how have you been dealing with that? Grief <laughs> really, it does, it does come down to some grief. Um, so I had lost I had lost at my, when I hit my lowest weight, which is actually when I was at your house to see Oprah. <laughs> yeah. So um, it was about a year ago, just yeah, over a year ago. Just over a year ago. Um, I had hit my lowest weight. And at that point I had lost about 180 pounds altogether um, because my highest weight was about 375. And in leaving WW and basically just, I stopped restricting food because I was so hungry, to be honest, that I was like, I'm tired of this. I don't want to do it anymore. Um, I had gained before surgery, I had gained a little bit of weight back. And so that played into how emotional I got in thinking about, um, gaining more weight. So now after surgery and after gaining the weight that I have, it's been hard because I think I'm kind of grieving that body that I used to have. And I'm trying really hard to adjust to the one that I have, but the difference I've been up and down like this before. And the difference between now and then is that I need to figure out how to make this body work and my relationship with food work for me now and make me healthy because at my lowest weight, I was mentally sicker than I was at 375 pounds. Wow. I mean, that's, um, that can be said for so many people, yeah. right? Like, yeah, just cause you small don't mean you're healthy, especially yeah. in your mind. Right. Because for most of us, especially like we both have struggled with our weight our entire lives. Right. So like having that and knowing that, um, you can't just assume that when you lose, when someone loses a bunch of weight and they become them, their smallest self, that they are now their healthiest self. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. cause usually whatever we have to do to get to that really low number is not healthy. It's not healthy. Yeah. It's not healthy. And you know, I'm not here to bag on WW. I lost 180 pounds. <laughs> we got other episodes for that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. But what I know now, and I wish that they would have helped me with, was when I contacted them multiple times and said, I can't lose any more weight. Like, I just, I'm doing everything I can and I don't know what else to do. They just kept saying, trust the program and eventually you'll lose weight. 
what I wish they would have said to me was, let's put you on, let's switch you to maintenance for right now. Because, you know, I told them, I was honest. I said, I'm starting to have some real sick thoughts, like about diuretics and about, you know, and about all of these and about binging and purging. And I don't know what to do. And there wasn't guidance there. And I wish I would have had the fortitude to, to do that for myself, to put myself on maintenance, to, um, walk away from the program more and maybe look at, you know, some alternative mental health, (laughs) some help with my mental health. Um, but I didn't. And when I left the program, like I said, I, I ate everything. Like I'm, I'm just, to be honest, I ate everything and I ate a lot of it and I quit moving my body because I was tired. Well, and look at the lack of support that you received. And that's, I mean, you're never going to find mental health support within a diet. Right. You're just not going to, because, because if any program provided mental health support to help people heal, whether it be their traumas or whatever, to help them overcome their eating disorders or disordered eating, because let's be honest, that's why most of us struggle with our weight. Yeah. Yeah. It's not because of diets or whatever. It's because of the shit we carry, right? The roots of our issues. Um, And for us, it just happens to be food that is our coping tool. Um, But yeah, if these diets provided mental health support, true mental health support to help people work through those problems, then we wouldn't need the diet. We wouldn't need them. Yeah. (laughs) They wouldn't make any money. (laughs) Yeah. If they would have said, Hey, go on maintenance, you know, just go on maintenance. Don't, don't keep trying to lose weight. Don't, don't weigh in. If it, if you don't want to don't, you know, don't do all those things. I would have stopped paying that. Right. You know, I would have stopped paying that. But in the end, I stopped paying them anyway. Right. You know, so it was a, a, it was a hard decision to leave Weight Watchers because I knew I think I knew that I was going to like rebound hard. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but now today and I literally just had this thought this morning. I was doing yoga with with Eden this morning and I realized that it's harder to do yoga in this body than it was, you know, 40 pounds ago. But my goal is not to be able to lose weight. My goal is to get stronger. I've lost a lot of strength and that is what is hard. It's not my weight. It's not that my stomach gets in the way. You know, it's not, it's not any of those physical things. It is literally that I just need to build strength. And so that's my goal now. I love that. I'm so proud of you. And I know you um, actually joined Dr. Steph's Recovery Academy to help you with a lot of these um, food issues and mm-hmm. unfucking your mind. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to talk yeah. about your experience in being in her Recovery Academy? Yeah. I heard her on your podcast and I was in the shower listening to it. Um, and it was, I, I had a, a visceral reaction to the things that she was saying. I, I started crying because I, I like a lot of other people think that you can't have an eating disorder unless you're anorexic. 
you know, unless, unless you're physically very thin, you know, going through those unfortunate, unfortunate things that, that accompanies that. And when she said, anybody can have an eating disorder, anybody, it doesn't matter if you're 400 pounds or if you're, you know, a hundred pounds, you can have an eating disorder. And I, oh, it was like, again, like I said, I had a visceral reaction. I started crying. It was very emotional. And I left that podcast and I immediately looked her up and, and joined the Academy because it's not this, you're going to love your body in the end and everything's going to be great. And, you know, all of these things, it's literally just unpacking years and years and years and years of, of trauma around eating around food and the good, bad binary of food. And I still have those thoughts. You know, I still look at Ted keeps buying these little cheesecakes and I want to just punch him for it. I guess, you know, really, but it's, it's the perfect example. Cause I was standing in the refrigerator looking at one the other day and I was like, I'm going to eat that cheesecake. <laughs> like I'm going to eat that cheesecake. And then there was this thought in my head that, no, it's like 320 calories. You know, you don't need that cheesecake. You don't blah, blah, blah. And then I started justifying why I could eat that cheesecake. And I, now I just know from being in Dr. Steph's Academy, I don't have to villainize food like that. I don't have to look at food and say, that's a bad food and I'm not going to eat it. If I want to eat the cheesecake, just eat the damn cheesecake. Right. And something really powerful happens when you start to change the narrative inside of your brain, how you think about food, right? And it's a practice, just like everything else. You have to practice it. You have to check yourself. And I still have to do it too. But since I've started practicing that, um, changing that conversation I'm having with myself and my brain about food. Um, it's just like, it's really freeing. It's like, wow. Like food is just fucking food. Eating (laughs) is just eating. Like it's not, it doesn't have to be this like strategic, (laughs) you know, crazy. Like, I don't know. We just overcomplicate it so much so much and there's so much out there and it's constantly put in our face so it's like no wonder why our minds are so consumed by these thoughts I think to myself often that um growing up I had problems with a little little dabble here and there in drugs and alcohol and that type of stuff um but my addiction to food you know you can you can never step foot in a bar again and never drink a, drink a drop of alcohol again, but you have to eat. Right. You know, so I'm not saying that one addiction is stronger than the other. I'm just saying that it's different when your addiction is food because you still have to eat. Mm-hmm. And when I was restricting to the point that I was on WW for that whole year where I was just going up and down that five to 10 pounds, you know, um, which I know from you <laughs> really from you is normal. And I didn't want to admit that to myself at the time. Um, I really, when I stopped doing that, I just ate everything because I had done that for so long. I had restricted for so long 
that I just wanted to eat everything and as much of it as I possibly could, because that's where my brain went. You know, all these like four months out now, I'm just at a place where I really just want to eat normally. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, like it's, it's, that's kind of out of my system, I think, and working with, with Dr. Steph's recovery Academy. And also I think just time, you know, I think over time, I've just started to develop a habit of, or trying to develop a habit of just eating normally, eating reasonably healthy. And if I want to eat the cheesecake, I eat the cheesecake, you know, because it's cheesecake and it's good. I know. Now I want some cheesecake. I know. It tells Ted to send me some of them little mini cheesecakes. <laughs> um, you know, I preach so much about how normal it is for our weight to fluctuate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, like, like I have stopped weighing myself altogether because that number still affects me, right? And sometimes it does, and sometimes it doesn't. And there were long periods of times where it did it. And right now I'm in a period of time where it does. And it's just yeah. like, which makes no fucking sense because I've been maintaining. And I don't even like to say maintaining my weight because no. even that puts this like unrealistic expectation that we're going to weigh the same amount for the rest of our lives. Like, yeah, that shit makes no sense. No. <laughs> you know no. I'm just, like, it just, it really makes no sense. So how about we just focus more on just maintaining a healthy life, right? Like maintaining, yeah. um, And maybe not even just maintaining, but like, okay, I'm living this healthy lifestyle. Yeah. Just living your life. But also like that isn't going to look the same forever. And I feel like we get this, like, again, with like this diet culture that we're taught, we're taught like, okay, like this is what my body looks like now. Now I have to like keep it this way or better forever. You know, That's what I was just going to say or better. Yeah. You can get, you can get slimmer. You can get more defined or toned or whatever people call it, but you can't get bigger again. You know, you can't put weight back on. And it's like, that's so unrealistic. Like that's just, I know at some point in my life, I'm going to probably gain, I'm going to go through shit, right? Like we all go through shit. We have different seasons of our lives, different things happen to us. And like, why, does the size of our body have to be like the focal point of those things? Right. But we all do it. We all do it. I had a meltdown. I posted about it on Instagram. I had a meltdown this last Sunday. I cleaned out my closet and cleaned out my dresser of clothes that do not fit me. And I, it was so hard. And I, I thought I was okay. Right. Like I was like, oh, I'm going to do this. I got the totes. I got everything ready. And I'm like, you know, pulling stuff out and I'm looking at it. And I, you know, started making these stacks of clothes. And then I looked down and there was four stacks, four giant heaping stacks of clothes. And number one, I thought, holy shit, Janelle, like really you need, did you ever need this much clothes? You wore the same thing all the time. But I looked at my, my poor husband, who's just been through the ringer with me since the hysterectomy. Cause yes, my emotions are all over the place. Um, I'm really excited for your podcast that's coming out about hormones. Um, by the way, <laughs> uh, 
It's a good one. And I said, you can go back and listen to that one. I think it was at this point, it'll be like a month or so old, but yeah, go back and listen Um, to that with uh, Stephanie Lopez Gilmore. Uh, She's amazing. Uh, But I looked at him and I said, I'm overwhelmed and I have to go sit down. And I lost my shit and I cried and I cried and I cried and I sobbed and I looked at him. He came out and he's like, are you okay? And I said, no, I'm not, I'm not okay. You know, because I worked so hard to wear those clothes. Like I worked so hard in, in, in every way, except the way that really mattered. I did not cultivate and help my mental health. And I said to him, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to be okay and where I am right now. And he said, you're doing everything. He said, in my opinion, you're doing everything the way you should now. And he said, and I need you. And this is what he said to me. And I just love him because sometimes he says shit and I'm like, really, you, you, you really said that, (laughs) but he, but he said to me, I need you to stop saying bad things about yourself. And, and I just, I looked at him and I was like, okay, you know, okay. Cause number one, I realized how lucky I was to have somebody like that in my life that cared about me that much to say something like that to me. But then I realized how much my mental instability, you know, right now was affecting him, you know, and we don't always know that we don't always, we're so internal. We internalize everything. We don't realize how we affect the people that love and care about us. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's interesting, especially with like being on social media, Um, how the people closest to us can love and support us at our best, at our worst, doesn't matter. They're there, right? Like we're both very lucky. We have amazing partners that are super supportive and loving. Doesn't matter what we look like, what our size is, doesn't matter, right? Um, But it's like no wonder that we get wrapped up in it because on social media or maybe with strangers, we're so celebrated when we're smaller or when we're losing weight or, you know, I'm sure at that stage in your journey, you know, you were probably constantly celebrated, right? Like, oh, wow, look at her. She's so, and you are amazing, by the way. I'm not saying you're not amazing, but uh, (laughs) then and now. Okay. Uh, But it's like, it's no wonder that we have that, like those thoughts and those feelings, because like, that's what the world shows us, right? Celebrated when we're losing weight. Um, you know, we celebrate, we do celebrate people who are making healthy changes in their life and becoming better versions of themselves. But like, it's, it's, it's like, as soon as you're getting smaller yes, <laughs> or fitter or whatever, it's like, you're so celebrated for that. But if you're, you know, like right now, like, okay, so you, you, you do this, you get down on yourself because you've gained this weight. Um, but like, look at, how much you're growing, like mentally, you know what I'm saying? Like who cares what size your body is? Like mentally you're in, you're continually getting into a better space Mm -hmm. and that's 
in my opinion, a million times better for you and for the world, right? Yeah. I, you have that moment. I had that moment on Sunday, you know, I had that moment and then I had a moment like yesterday where, and then this is, this is just life. This is just life where you have, you have those down moments and then you have those up moments where I put on a pair of jeans that was two sizes bigger than I wore at my smallest that I had just bought. They're brand new. They're cute. And I put on a top that I wouldn't have even worn at my smallest because of my hangups about my body. And I went out to dinner with my husband and I looked really fucking cute. And I did my makeup and I made myself feel good in what I was wearing. And in, and it made me feel good in how I felt about myself. And I had more confidence. And I'm not saying that you should go out and buy new clothes and do all these things. But what I'm saying is you're going to have those down moments. And then you're going to have those moments when you just pick yourself up and you say, I'm fucking awesome. It doesn't matter what I look like, what I weigh, if my stomach's hanging out, if my, you know, all of these things, I'm going to have a good time and I'm going to enjoy myself and you just go do it. You know, you just go do it. And that's worth a lot more than somebody saying to you, Oh my gosh, look, you've lost a hundred pounds. You look great. No. Cause inside I was like, I look great. The validation has to come from inside me. It yeah. doesn't matter who, who, what external, you know, what external validation you get. It has to come from in you or it's not going to stick. Yeah, totally. Wow. So well said. Thank I you. Love it. I love it. <laughs> and I love you so much. And I so appreciate I you. you sharing your story. Like I said, this is going to help so many people, um, you know, whether they've been through something similar or not, like just to know that you can overcome hard shit and you can still be a good person. And, um, you can still continue to grow and learn and learn to love yourself. Right. Yeah. And it's not an end goal or it's not an end. You're never going right. to get to the end of that. Yeah. That's, That's why this whole like goal, weight, goal, whatever, like yeah. I get it. Goals are very important. Okay. Yes. Setting yeah. goals is extremely important, but when your goals are only number focused or, um, you think that you're going to be emotionally somewhere once you reach that numerical goal. I think it's time to take a step back and yeah. really evaluate how you're feeling and what you're doing um, and where you want to be because, okay, well, you hit that number. Now what? Right. <laughs> do, do you love oh. yourself any more than you did before? Because probably not if you weren't doing the mental work, right? Somebody... And she's an amazing author, Sonia Renee Taylor, um, author activist. She made the comment. She um, she was mentioning Toni Morrison's in an interview that Toni Morrison did, and she said, "When you take away your physical body, what do you have left?" You know. And those two women and their their fortitude and their their the knowledge that they have put out into this world. We just would really benefit anybody. So if you're not following Sonia Renee Taylor, if you haven't read any Toni Morrison, please go do that. Do um, join our book club. Join our book club. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Says um, the girl that hasn't even started the book. <laughs> I'm so I'm so excited and so proud of Elena for for you know cultivating that book club. Um, 
but yeah, when you take away your physical body, what do you have left? And that was, that was, I remind myself of that. It's like, it's written on a post-it note by my mirror so that I can see it because that's what's important. Yeah. I in, love the, that. in the end, that's what's important. Yeah. Because we do, right. We become so hyper-focused on what our body looks like and we forget about everything else we have to offer the world. Yeah. Which is a lot. Yes. We're, we're everybody has everybody. so much to offer. Yeah. It, it just got to learn how to live your truth. Right. And embrace it. Right. And I'm lucky to have people like you in my life that encourages, that encourages me to do that. You know, so if looking back on the last couple of years coming into the WW Instagram community, those are the things that I think are the most important to me now. It doesn't have anything to do with weight loss. It has to do with the relationships that I've built with, within coming out of that container, coming out of that space, because it brings you and, and a few other gals and, you know, you bring so much to my life. So I just appreciate you. And I appreciate you putting this podcast out for wellness for everybody. I love you. I love you. You are such a bright light in this world. And I'm so thankful to have you as my friend, IRL. IRL. I'm getting vaccinated this week. So come visit me soon, please. Soon. Yeah, I get, I get, <laughs> I get my second dose pretty soon. So I'm like, well, by the time this airs, hopefully we're both fully vaccinated yeah. and we can be together again. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please leave us a review. We greatly appreciate that. And we'll see you bitches next Monday. Bye.